there is some great food for thought in Leviticus chapter 11. Chapters 1 through 10, which we've completed studying, we're already to chapter 11, but chapters 1 through 10 are all about devoted worship. They're about devoted worship to the Lord. They're about the priestly things. We read in the first several chapters about the offerings, the, the five distinct offerings, the sixth offering including the one for the ordination of the priest. But we saw their ordination actually take place in chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10, or 8, 9, and 10. We, we watched this go on, and these first 10 chapters are clearly about the priests. It's one of the reasons why the book is called Leviticus, or pertaining to the Levites. It's a name that some of you may remember was given in the Septuagint, that is the first Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. It was referred to or given the name Leviticus for having to do with the Levites. Funny thing is, it's only about that first third of the book that has to do with the Levites. The last two-thirds from chapters 11 all the way through 27 are not about the priests. They're about the people. God shifts direction without missing a beat. Suddenly he will begin to talk not about devoted worship to the Lord, but about a directed walk in the Lord. How to walk in the Lord. He's going to begin to tell the Israelites, and us by extension, how we can pursue righteousness in the world. How we can make a a distinction between that which is right and that which is wrong. Now you may recall that holiness is the key word of the book of Leviticus. If there's any one word that describes this book, it's holiness. It's what God is calling His people to. And it's in fact in this chapter tonight, down in verses 44 and 45, where God says, Be holy, because I am holy. It's the first time it comes up in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 11. And so, we began with the Levitical, now we're moving into the practical. This is the part of the book that unfortunately a lot of people either just skip or make fun of because they don't understand it. How do we apply? How do we draw uh, understand, understanding or, or make allusions from things like diet, which is what tonight is about, or pregnancy, or diseases like leprosy? How do we look at what the, what the Lord gives these people in terms of regulation and, and apply it to our lives without becoming legalistic? And that's a good question, but it's not a hard question to answer. I want to give you three words for our study tonight, three words that you can jot down, and you will sense these coming up over and over as we finish out the rest of the book of Leviticus. We're not going to finish it tonight. Relax. But these three words come up again and again. I kept seeing these over and over. Not necessarily the words themselves, but the indication of these words. And here they are, distinction, discernment, and direction. These these three words. You get these three words in your mind and remember these as you look at all of the ordinances, all of the regulations throughout Leviticus and it will begin to make sense to you and you'll find yourself being able to apply what's being talked about here to your life. Distinction, discernment, and direction. The first two... The first two are related to Israel. Number one, Israel's distinction from the world. God is going to be able to begin to distinguish them. He's going to give them a diet completely different from the diet of pagan cultures around them. As a matter of fact, what's interesting is at this time, when dietary health was something completely unknown, God begins to implement things for the people of Israel that are healthier for them. Thus distinguishing them from the rest of the world. Now S.H. Kellogg in his 1905 commentary on Leviticus said the following. He said, even so long ago as the days when the bubonic plague was desolating Europe, the Jews so universally escaped infections that the popular suspicion was excited into fury and they were accused of causing the fearful mortality among their Gentile neighbors. 
that actually during the Black Plague, during that time of so much death and devastation in Europe, Jewish people, because of their kosher diet, were not dying like the Gentiles were. And it was so obvious in the culture that people began saying, well, they're the cause. They must be the cause because they're healthy and we're all sick. We're all dying. No, they were just following the kosher rules of Leviticus chapter 11. And in so doing, they were remaining healthier. It was said at one point in history, in Old Testament times, that Jewish people lived twice as long as their Gentile neighbors, simply because their diet was healthy. Now, most people would stop right there and say, okay, well that distinguishes the Jews, and that's all there is to this dietary stuff. Chapter 12, let's go on. But there's so much more. It's not just about diet. Not just about being kosher. Kosher, by the way, the word kosher literally means right or fit to eat. And you'll even see it on kosher foods in the grocery store. A Snapple is one. You'll see a little K with a circle around it. That means kosher. That simply means that a, that a priest has checked it out and said, yeah, this, is, this fits within the dietary regulations set out in Leviticus chapter 11. It's kosher. It's fit to eat. <laughs> But it's not just Israel's distinction from the world that is obvious in this chapter. It's their discernment in the world. Because as God begins to delineate what is clean and what is unclean, what he's doing for the people of Israel is he's teaching them to discern. He's showing them that there is a difference in different things. That you can't see things uniquely or differently. He chooses, gang, and uses things that the average Israelite would see every day. Things like, as I said before, diet, or disease, or childbirth. Things that would be common in the life of an Israelite, and he makes distinctions between them. This is clean for you now. This is unclean. And as the Israelite, especially the discerning Israelite, begins to look at these things and consider them, they learn to distinguish between sin and sinlessness. Between righteousness and evil. C.S. Lewis put it this way, he said, A man could not call a line crooked unless he had some idea of a straight line. And so God is showing the Israelites a straight line. He's giving them something to look at, tangible things in the animal kingdom around, in their diet, and saying, look at these, consider this, and you will learn to discern. And it's cool the way he does this. We'll see this in a moment. But the third area is direction. Direction for our walk with Jesus. We're going to see the application of some of these menu items, for that's what Leviticus 11 is. It's a menu. It's a dietary menu where God goes through and says, these are the things that you can choose off the menu to eat. These are the things you're not allowed to eat. Clean and unclean. But before we get there, one last thing I want you to know, lest we step into legalistic religion, understand there are no biblical dietary restrictions for a Christian. Woohoo! We can eat whatever we want. No matter how bad it is for us. This is great. Last night we were over at Jeff and Penelope's house and Penelope's sister and brother-in-law and their family were there and, and they're, I probably shouldn't share this but they're not here tonight so I will. Their youngest son, Kenan, was, uh, on, he got a little punishment, no sugar for like two days and his favorite thing was Pop-Tarts. So all night long we were just talking about, man, we need to cook up some Pop-Tarts. And we made some chocolate chip cookies and the whole house smelled sweet and sugary. And we're eating them going, oh, Keenan, these, these are great cooks. So, so sad that you're in trouble. You know, it was, it was a great time. We really enjoyed it. But there are no dietary restrictions for Christians. You can set that one to rest. And I'll give you some scriptures to show this. Romans 14, 14. Paul said, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is, it is unclean. 
So he's saying, if, if you've got someone who, let's use wine for example, who says, hey man, you shouldn't drink at all. Completely abstain. Hey, to that person, if they think it's unclean to them, if they have made that choice, that decision, if they're discerning that to drink any alcohol at all is wrong, then for them to drink would be wrong. But other than that, there are no distinctions for us. Things unclean versus clean in what we eat and what we drink. 1 Corinthians 6.13, Paul says, For food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. You know, in the way I'm eating, that could happen sooner than later. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, Food will not commend us to God. Oh, but Lord, I've eaten kosher all my life. Good for you. Healthy for you. Doesn't make a hill of beans difference between you and the Lord. Food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether then you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, which is great. I can eat a hostess cherry pie to the glory of God. I plan to do it when I get home tonight. <laughs> Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, and possibly the most powerful verse relating to this, Jesus says, It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man. But what proceeds out of the mouth, that defiles a man. Jesus getting right to the heart of the matter. Well, with all these things in mind, let's see what the Lord's got on his plate for us tonight. (laughs) Verse 1. The Lord spoke again to Moses and to Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, These are the creatures which you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. Now, a reminder, some of you know this, but man did not eat meat until after the flood. At least it wasn't allowed. God did not give meat to be eaten until after the flood. Genesis chapter 9 verse 3. Every moving thing, God says to Noah and his family, every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. You go back to Genesis chapter 1 and he tells Adam and Eve, he says, hey, of all the fruit trees and all the vegetables and plants, man, dig in, enjoy it, eat it. It's probably one of the reasons why people lived longer prior to the flood than after the flood. But after the flood, God said, okay, it's all right now, you can eat meat, but there are specific kinds of meat, and distinguishing between these different types of meat, different types of animals, didn't happen until now. Verse 3. Whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hoofs, and chews the cud among the animals, that you may eat. Nevertheless, you're not to eat of these among those who chew the cud or among those which divide the hoof, the camel. For though it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof. It's unclean to you. Likewise, the shaphan, that would be uh, in some translations a coney. It was a little rock rabbit hidden in the rocks and the, and the hills. The shaphan, for though it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof. It's unclean to you. The rabbit also, for though it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you. The pig, for though it divides the hoof, Thus, making a split hoof, it does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their carcasses, they are unclean to you. And we say, that is so bizarre. You mean, when I go out to kill an animal, to get dinner, i got to check their feet? i got to see first how they eat? Exactly. God is drawing a line of distinction. If there is a division in the hoof, and if that animal chews the cud... It's clean to eat. Otherwise, if there's a division in the hoof but he doesn't chew the cud, or if he chews the cud but there's not a division in the hoof, can't eat him. Can't do that. Well, how does this work? Distinction, discernment, direction. Listen to this. Israel's distinction and discernment with this one. Here's an example. The camel. 
The camel. Unless God had called the camel unclean, how would anyone have known to distinguish it as unclean? We wouldn't have. You know, an Israelite standing there watching a camel wander by would have to go, it looks meaty. Oh, we could probably eat that. It's no weirder looking than the cow is. They're both strange creatures. Why not dig in? How do we know the difference? And God says, I'll tell you the difference. I'll make it clear to you. Andrew Bonar in his commentary on Leviticus said the camel was one of those which would have been difficult to determine whether it belonged to the clean or the unclean. But the Israelite learns that it will be safe for himself to observe the Lord's positive decision in things that have a doubtful aspect. In other words, and listen to this, God is never morally vague. He's never vague about moral things. He is always crystal clear. Do you want to know the right and the wrong of an issue? God will tell you. He will make it clear. And all the Israelite had to do to make the distinction was go back to Leviticus 11, look it up, read it and go, okay, don't eat the camel. It says so right here. Why? I don't know, but God said so and God knows what he's doing and he's not vague about it. Don't eat the camel. Okay? Make the distinction. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 tells us His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. In other words, folks, we have everything we need in this life to follow the Lord. It's all here. We have His Word, and, and where His Word might be confusing, or whereas we're reading it, we're not understanding, we also have His Spirit to explain it to us. We have everything we need. And so for anyone who would say to you, well, I'm just not sure what the Lord would, would teach on this, or I'm not really sure. And that whole thing, I'm going to use this example, that whole thing about homosexuality, boy, that's a difficult one for the church. <laughs> God is not morally vague. He is painfully obvious. He is very clear. He doesn't dance around the issues like we dance around the issues. And I'll tell you what, if you've ever sat in a church where a certain moral issue was vague, it's probably because the pastor was being vague on it because he was afraid to drive someone away because the offerings might go down. But God's not vague. God is crystal clear. The camel and distinction. He helped just in saying it's the camel who you shouldn't eat. Now the Israelites are going, okay, well God's making distinctions. So for me to understand, for me to distinguish unclean versus clean in the world, I need to go to the Lord and understand Him. What about discernment? How does a camel help me discern? Well, the discerning Israelite would go a step further than distinction. He'd look at the camel walking by some afternoon and think, Man, God called the camel unclean. In His sovereignty, He knows what He's doing. I'm going to accept that. But why? What is it about the camel? And again, the discerning Israelite would see the camel Burdened, bearing a heavy load. He was a beast of burden. And the Israelite could say in discernment, that's a picture of sin. Sin is like that. Sin is like the camel weighted down, carrying a heavy weight. That's what sin does. If, if I'm doing something unclean, I'm like the camel. Wow, it makes sense. Discernment. What about the rabbit? Here's a little rabbit. In fact, I was just walking down here tonight. There are rabbits all over the place up here. Great place for a BB gun. <laughs> so I'm walking down. I see this cute little bunny. just goes, Pew! and you've seen him before. You go walking along and suddenly just out of nowhere, they, they bolt. You know, and they're scared to death. If you're driving in a car, and especially as you come up the Gilmore's driveway, many times you're driving in the car, and five or six of them just bolt across the road. I think it's like their version of animal extreme sports. <laughs> no, I'm sure of it. They line up along the side. They go, okay, here comes the car. Here comes the car. No! Ah, 
you know, and they just chase across. And the other ones on the other side go, man, that was close. He lost his floppy tail. That was amazing. <laughs> what is it about the rabbit? Well, they were all over the area. The Israelites saw them everywhere. They were reminded constantly, every time they saw a rabbit, of something unclean. And they were reminded there is unclean and there is clean in this world. God using these average things to draw a line of distinction to teach the Israelites between unclean and clean between right and wrong also you could discern a little more out of the rabbit you could say this thing is scared to death this thing bolts every time I come near this thing's very fearful that would be a good way to approach sin to be fearful of it to run from it not to play animal extreme sports and see how close you can get to the car going by that's a stupid rabbit trick but to flee sin and immorality. The Lord has a way of using the ordinary for extraordinary reasons. He talks about bread and makes such a powerful application. Jesus does. I am the bread of life. He talks about wine. Drink this wine. And as you do so, what does it make you think of? My blood. This is my blood poured out for you. Or fish. Well, this he says to Peter, who is a fisherman, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He inserts one word and changes Peter's entire life. Very common thing. There are fishermen all over Galilee. But suddenly Peter gets a picture of thousands and thousands of fish. So many fish busting the net in Luke chapter 5. And as those fish are busting the net, Jesus says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And Peter gets that picture. Thousands of people are going to be saved. Which is exactly what happened on Pentecost and in the ensuing days in the Jerusalem church. Soils. Jesus talked about soils as a picture of the heart. And seeds as a picture of his word. He's compared to a lamb, to a lion. All these common average things that actually not just in our culture, but historically we can look at and go, wow, that makes sense. He's teaching distinction. He's teaching discernment. These common things to man remind us of Jesus. Romans 11.33 And I, just, I, I stuck this verse in there because as I read this and I thought, wow, how cool is it that God would go to these lengths just to teach his people And Paul says, How, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became His counselor? Who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. The mind of God. Wow. Amazing. But we also see in these things gain direction for our walk with Jesus. And I want you to reread verse 3. Listen to this. Whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hoofs, and choose the cud among the animals, that you may eat. And this provides us some direction in our Christian walk with the Lord. How so? I'm going to give you two application questions. Question number one, as we walk, do we have the divided hoof? Do we walk divided? Well, what do you mean? Do we walk divided from the world? Is our Christian walk different? Is it distinct? Is it divided from the world? Is it holy? If someone watches you as a Christian walking along, they say, yeah, he's different. She's different. There's just something about her. I don't know what it is, but when I'm around her, it's different. Sometimes it's really weird and sometimes it's wonderful, but it's always different. What is it? Ephesians 4.1, Paul said, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. How have you been called? Remember, priests? A royal priesthood? Walk in a manner worthy of that. And yet so many of us in the church, we don't want to look different than the world. We don't want to be too distinguished. We don't want people coming up to us and going, Hey, what's the deal? 
What's the deal? Because then we might have to know more of our Bibles and actually give an answer. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul goes on, he says, Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. In other words, in Christ, we should walk differently. Our walk should be divided from the world, different, distinct from the world. It reminds me of Daniel. I'm not going to turn there right now just for time, but Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. And I encourage you just to go home and read the story again if you haven't heard it or if you remember it. Great story. Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hauled off out of Jerusalem, hauled off away from their homeland into Babylonian captivity. And as they're in captivity there, all of the meat and the rich foods of the king are laid out before them. And they're going to be culturally altered. That's Nebuchadnezzar's plan. We're going to alter these guys. We're going to change their food, change their language, change the way they think. And Daniel and his friends look at this rich display of meats and foods and go back to Leviticus 11 and think, that's unclean, that's unclean, and that's unclean. And they go to the captain of the guard and they say, we can't eat this. The captain of the guard says, what do you mean you can't eat this? You don't eat this. It's my head. You know, in in two, three, four weeks when the king comes along and looks and everybody else is strong and healthy and robust and you guys are pale and weak and pansies, what am I going to tell the king? I'm going to be in trouble. He's going to cut my head off. And they said, well, let's do a little test. Give us ten days. You give us for ten days fruits and vegetables and water to drink. And you let them eat of the king's table, all the rich foods, and we'll see what happens. Great. Okay. They make the deal. Ten days later, what do you think happened? God blessed Daniel and his three friends. They were stronger looking. They were smarter. God gave them wisdom. He increased their knowledge so that the king was blown away by these four lads who would not eat of this food. These four lads who walked differently. Who were not caught up in the culture. Who didn't look like everybody else. And we need to learn from that. Not to be afraid to be distinct. David's wearing a shirt that looks like a Reese's peanut butter cup shirt and it says Jesus. I love that. Now, some of you are going to say, as Cheryl did this afternoon, now wait a minute, didn't just a few weeks ago you told us those shirts that take God's name and bandy it around and do weird things are, are disrespectful? Yeah, there are a lot of shirts like that. That one's okay. King of Kings, sweet Savior, looks good. I like that. Corey has a shirt. We picked it up of all places at JCPenney. It's a sign of the, the fish. And underneath it, it says, here's your sign. I love that. Those of you who like Bill Ingvall, you'll get that. If you don't, you check him out some other time. Here's your sign. When I was in high school, I went out and I had a shirt made. It was a long sleeve, bright yellow t-shirt. It was the early 80s. And on the back of it, in red lettering, big letters, I just had written, Ain't Jesus Good. It was a song we sang in my youth group. I loved the song. And I did it for a reason, because at that time in my life, I needed something to force distinction. Now, Frank Jaretsky, who is also not here tonight, so we can talk about him too, said on Sunday that Sharon doesn't like him to put Christian bumper stickers on his car because he doesn't, she doesn't want people to know that he is a Christian because of how he drives. Well, he can work that out with the Lord. But I think that we need, I think that we need to learn to be distinguished. To be different from the world. Not to be afraid to look like Christians. Hey, that's what I am. That's what I'm called. I am a child of God. I'm not a perfect person. Matter of fact, many things in my life are very messy. But I'll tell you one thing that I cling to is the name of Jesus. I am going after Christ. And that's not something to be ashamed of or doubtful of. 
That is a great and wonderful and powerful truth. And I have to ask this, and it's a hard question, if I'm not willing to distinguish myself in my walk as a Christian, why should the Lord distinguish me? Why would He say a word about me if if I'm embarrassed or ashamed of Him? Jesus said, Matthew 10.32, Therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess Him before my Father who is in heaven. Do you know why I know that right now heaven is hearing the prayers we pray for Jim? Because Jim confesses Jesus before men. And so Jesus in turn is confessing Him before His Father in heaven. And Jesus tonight is saying, Lord, let's keep an eye on Jim. So you're saying Jim's going to be healed. I certainly hope so. I certainly believe so. I certainly assume so. But I also know God's got a plan, as Jim knows. And so we will yield to God's power, to His plan. Don't be afraid to be distinct. Jesus also said in Matthew 10.33, Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Don't be afraid to be distinctive. Walk with a divided hoof. But also, the second question is, do we chew the cud? What does that mean? Well, if you've seen, what's the cow's name again? Belle. You've seen Belle out here. Every now and then, she'll just kind of go like this. She just kind of herps it up and goes to town. Starts to chew, starts to eat, starts to... Now, to us, that's gross, because if we draw something up out of our stomach, that's, that's nasty. We don't want to go there. We don't want to chew that. But Belle has a system of stomachs, and one catches food that goes in and is stored, and when it needs more digestion, more work, more chewing... Brings it up. And, and what is more thoughtful than a cow standing along the side of the road going... I mean, you can almost see him working things out, you know? E equals M3. It's too bad that their hoof is divided. They can't really hold the pencil very well. But anyway, do we chew the cud? Listen to this. This is so cool. The Hebrew word for chewing the cud is garar. Garar. Now, it's simply a word. I looked it up, and it means cud. (laughs) So it's not real exciting. But the word itself was used, and I had to ask my daughter about this word because she had it in school last year. It was used as an idiom. There was a Hebrew idiom that used the word garar and indicated... Meditation, thoughtfulness, consideration, rumination. In our language, we might say, let me chew on this a bit. Or, here's some food for thought. I'm going to work this out. I'm going to chew this and think about it and meditate on it. Are we divided, distinct from the world? Do we chew the cud? Are we meditating on the things of the Lord? As we have talked about already tonight, there's been an elevated activity of the Holy Spirit at the bridge. Why? I believe it's because people are feeding on the Word. People are chewing on the Word. There is food for thought. We're considering the Word. We have the foundation of God's Word. And because of that, God says, that is a place where I'm comfortable pouring out my Spirit. There are a lot of places that are not in the Word. And you throw the Spirit into that mix. Pour the Spirit out into that mix. And people can go in any number of different directions because they don't have the Word to stand upon to meditate, to think about. 
But I believe the more the Lord sees that we're standing on the foundation of His Word, the more His Spirit will be poured out to those who stand solid on that foundation. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Chew on the cud. Chew on the scriptures. Bring it up, if you will, in conversation. Consider it on your bed at night. Pour over it in your thoughts. Chew on it. Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law meditates day and night, that person will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Do you want to be prosperous in the things of God? I'm not talking about prosperous in the world. For you might give yourself to the Lord. You might begin to be following after the Lord. And you might find financially things don't go where you thought they were going to go. Well, God's not really concerned about that. He will take care of you. But He's not concerned about prospering you financially. He wants to prosper you spiritually. He wants to prosper you emotionally, relationally. If you want that... You will find it when you chew on the word, feed on the word. Now, there are unclean animals that also chew the cud. For example, the camel and the shaven or the coney. But those animals that chew the cud and are still called unclean, they're called unclean because they don't have a divided hoof. That's interesting to me. Because you can spend time meditating on the word, but if you continue to walk in the ways of the world, it will work against the word. You can come to Bible study every Wednesday night. You can be deep in it every Sunday morning. But if your walk in the world is not divided from the world, I hate to say it, but it may not do you any good. Because life in the world, focusing and living in this culture, will begin to push the word out. It will drive it away from you. God says, no, the clean animal chews the cud and has the divided hoof. By the way, I think it's interesting. There is uh, humor in Jesus' teaching that you might not know if you hadn't read Leviticus 11. Because Jesus says to Ma- in Matthew 23, verse 24, he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, "You guys, you guys strain out a gnat but swallow a camel." And at the same time, Jesus is saying, "Unclean." And the Pharisees knew it. They knew it. To us, we go, oh, you strain out a cam- you strain out an apple, swallow a camel. Well, to us, we just think, well, you just swallow big stupid stuff. No, you are swallowing the unclean. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, he's tongue in cheek, he's he's being humorous, but he's also being poignant because the Pharisees were exactly like a camel. They chewed the cud. They had the words in their little phylacteries on their foreheads and tied onto their wrists. Man, they were close to the word. They chewed the cud, but they did not have a divided walk. What do you mean? Well, James 1.22 says, Prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers of the word. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. It's not just the reading, it's not just the hearing of God's word as you're doing tonight. Anybody can do that. It's the heeding of the word. It's doing the word. It's dividing the hoof. It's chewing the cud, meditating on the word, and dividing the hoof, doing the word in your life, walking it out. Of course, in verse 7, the last unclean animal that's mentioned there is the pig. He's got the divided hoof, but he doesn't chew the cud, and he's the perfect portrait of someone who desires to live with moral excellence, different than the world, 
but not by the word of God. They're pigs. They are. Someone who says, I am going to be a morally... Benjamin Franklin, who said, I'm going to list out my top ten sins, and one by one, I'm going to master them morally, and he did. Great, Ben, but you're still filthy. You're still a swine. And it doesn't matter how much we attach ourselves to the Word and, and live it out. And this is the danger of legalism, folks. We can live by the Word. Every single law, paying attention to every regulation, to all 613 laws for the Jewish people, we could keep all those and still be filthy swine. Because the Bible tells us that no one is righteous. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Where then, Paul writes, is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Works? No, but by faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So chew on the word. Meditate on it. Divide the hoof. Don't be afraid to be distinct as followers after the Lord. And I'm going to stop right there for tonight. There's so much more in this chapter and it's, it's stuff that I do not want you to miss. I hate that because I wanted to tell you tonight, but we'll get there. We're going to talk about all kinds of cool stuff, fish and birds of prey. and It's just too much good stuff to, to just throw out there. So we will talk about it again either Sunday morning or maybe we'll skip it go to chapter 12 Sunday morning come back next Wednesday night and finish chapter 11 but let's pray together Holy Father God thank you for your word and you just you just began to open the book to us with this whole idea of discernment and distinction and God direction for us as your children I pray that you just implant some of these thoughts into us tonight. The whole idea of meditating on your word, chewing the cud, thoughtfully ruminating over the things even that we've talked about tonight. I pray, Father, that you would give us the divided hoof, that we, like the clean animal, would walk as distinctive, as different, as clean. Because, Father, you have cleaned us. You have robed us in garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness. You have made us clean. And this not of ourselves. Father, it's the grace that you have given us so that none of us can boast. Father, I pray again. Lord, by Jesus' name that you would hear our prayers tonight.